we'll read these, uh, these two verses again. Uh, God's word says this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of Jesus that you have given to us, God, that in your love, uh, you sent your son uh, to take on human flesh, fully God, fully human, God, that he would come and live perfectly, die in our place, and raise from the grave victorious over sin and death. Lord, and your word tells us that you did this for your enemies, that you could reconcile them and call them your sons and daughters, Lord. And so we're thankful for that. God, we're thankful for the good news that Jesus, one of Jesus's names is Emmanuel, God with us, and we can reflect on the fact uh, that Jesus has come in the flesh to be with us, to reconcile us, and to set us forth for our proper calling, Lord. And so we pray that this text uh, would edify us this morning, would stir us up to grow in Christ's likeness, but to walk forth in our purpose in life, uh, which is to worship you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, all of God's people said, amen. Would, would you believe me if I told you, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is a hymn that really gets to the heart of everyday life. It, it seems so majestic, but it gets to the heart of everyday life. It's a hymn that explores and exposes our deepest purpose and design as human beings, uh, oftentimes when we think of purpose, we have a tendency in our, in our walk, in our life as people who are followers of Jesus uh, to think of the world in, in spiritual terms and then just physical terms. Or we could use these two columns, sacred and secular. You know, my sacred life is going to church and reading scriptures and praying. And my secular life is, is going to work and going to the grocery store and all the normal things. And you probably don't use the words sacred and secular in your, in your everyday life. You may not use those exact terms, maybe noble and normal, or, or this is important, meaning church. I hope you find it important. Uh, or this is just a category of you know, work or something that just needs to get done. This is just the stuff I need to get done. Uh, but these two short verses from Luke 2 convey what we were designed and purposed for. I want to tell you this morning, there's, there's nothing outside the realm of, of God's sovereign control that he hasn't entrusted to us that has the same purpose, that we would worship God in all of our lives, uh, in what we would categorize as sacred, what we would categorize as secular. Really, the truth is, is that everything that we do is sacred. Every step that we take is sacred. Every prayer that we utter to the Lord is sacred. Every hour that we spend at work is sacred. And it's our purpose to worship God uh, within the whole of our lives, uh, the angels reveal our purpose in their song, their adoration, their excitement for the coming of the Lord in the flesh. We use this name, Emmanuel, right? God with us. That's what it means. God with us. The hymn goes like this. I'm just going to read the first uh, stanza or the first verse. It says, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with the angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. If last week's message related directly to our promise 
keeping God, holding true to his word, and indeed providing a way of salvation and redemption for humanity. This week's hymn and passage relates to our vocation. What, is, what does vocation mean? It's, it's a word that we don't really use that much anymore. What is our vocation? Someone shout it out. It's okay. We can be interactive today. Right? Our career, our job. We could use this word, our calling, right? Our calling in life is our vocation or our purpose, right? So we see within this hymn the purpose of the created order. And that is this, that from, from the heavenly beings to humanity, so you and me, to the created order, or, uh, created order itself, our purpose is that we would reflect the glory of God. This morning's hymn and passage is a, a sermon of purpose or vocation, our calling in life. And first we witness the calling or vocation of the heavenly realm. It's our first point. God with us, or Emmanuel, brings a song of praise in heaven. God with us brings a song of praise in the, in the heavenly places. Did you know this? This is kind of a fun fact for you. You can share it at your family uh, Christmas meals in the next coming weeks that Hark the Herald Angels Sing is not the original lyric to the, to the hymn. Who knew that? I got a couple of emails we send out on Friday, the, the bulletin, and, and I put the lyrics in there, and there was a couple email or texts like, hey, you have the wrong lyric in the bulletin this week. Actually, it's the original lyric. Charles Wesley, again, we, we uh, studied one of Wesley's hymns last week. We've, we are thankful for Charles Wesley. What a treasure to the church. Uh, a man that lived in the 1700s, a part of the Great Awakening, established the, the Methodist church, uh, a great uh, leader in Christian history in, in establishing that church and writing a prolific hymn writer. Uh, and, and his hymns are continue to be a blessing to us even uh, today. And so Charles Wesley wrote the original hymn, again, a, pro a prolific hymn writer of the 18th century, but the original lyric he wrote to open this, and, and I want to say this, I'm going I'm to say this, I think this might be the most famous hymn that we have. How do we know that? Most hymnals uh, have this as, as a hymn within their hymnal more so than any other hymn. So it might be the most popular hymn that, that we have ever Saying, and his original lyric goes like this Hark, how all the welkin rings, glory to the King of Kings. Now, if you read that and you didn't know what welkin means, I'm with you. I didn't know either. I've, I've never heard that word in my life. Uh, does anybody know the definition of welkin? The heavens, okay? The, the definition of welkin is the heavens. Ron Bradshaw gets a candy bar for today. So Wesley is singing here, hark how all the heavens sing, the arrival of the king of kings, right? Now, a good friend of Wesley, and these guys uh, did a lot of ministry together, a good friend of Wesley, Charles Wesley, was, is George Whitfield. Who here's heard of George Whitfield? These guys were great friends, and they had some great theological battles. If you read church history, if you're a student of ch church history, you would know that. George Whitfield, of all people, changed the opening line to his friend's hymn to the familiar, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Rumor has it, as the many battles that these two friends had theologically, and I guess also in songwriting, Wesley was less than thrilled with the change that Whitfield made to his artistic work. But if I'm honest, I'm thankful he did, Right? It's just got a little bit better ring than Welkin. The song goes on with, with this lyric. 
with the angelic host proclaim, here's the news, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Why is it now that that the purpose of all the the created order is being exposed? Here's the truth. The the king is coming. Just prior to these two verses, if we would have read back into chapter 2 a little bit more, an angel of the Lord has appeared to the shepherds in in the field to bring good news. We probably have that passage memorized to bring good news of great joy for all the people. Thank you to the, to the Peanuts cartoon, right? We, we have that passage memorized and entrusted into our, our memories. They came to bring good news of great joy for all the people. But what is, what is this good news that they're talking about? The good news is this, is that, that on that day, a child is born in the city of David. But we like, big deal, kids are born all the time. But on this day, a special arrival had come. The text says this, a Savior who is, hear this, Christ the Lord. The Savior has come. God with us, we could say. Emmanuel, after this pronouncement to the shepherds by by one angel, the welkin or or the heavens erupt into praise. Would you just imagine with me? what it was like out in the, in the dark field and the heavens split open wide and the chorus of the heavenly realms, the angels burst into this news, into this song of praise, glory to God, right? Verses 13, the beginning part of 14 says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, the welkin, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, right? Their purpose exposed for all of eternity was what? To bring glory to God. The coming of the Lord brought about the praise of the heavens. Jesus' arrival on earth in the flesh caused the heavens to live out their true calling, their vocation, their purpose. To praise God in heaven. This This is what the arrival of Jesus brings. It brings heavenly praise. The angels calling out, praising the Lord. Why? Because this is the greatest news in all of the universe for all of eternity that has arrived at this particular point in time. God has come in the flesh. And this was anticipated by by the heavenly realm since the fall of humanity. The apostle Peter, I believe, reflects on this in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. He's speaking here to the church and he's talking about how Uh, the the prophecies of the Old Testament, which we have recorded, they're pointing to this point in time. And Peter says this under the inspiration of the Spirit. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. That's beautiful. In in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel, right, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice this line, though, that Peter puts in here. Things into which angels long to look. That the heavenly beings, the helpers of God, they longed to look into this good news of the arrival of Christ the Messiah. And in his arrival, that's the arrival of Jesus, 
We have the, the full breadth and width and weight of their heavenly vocation. It came to fulfillment as they sang out this song in the fields over the shepherds. They were created, what? To praise God, to worship God. And in particular, to praise the arrival of our Savior Jesus. They've longed for this moment. They long to look into these things. They have longed to look into the salvation of humanity through Jesus. It is their calling, their vocation, their purpose. I think there's, there's some neat application that the Lord led me to as I was studying this passage. Some practical application for us. In, in human terms, there was no advantage to these angels or this heavenly realm personally with the arrival of Christ. Let me, let me get to what I'm meaning here. Here's the truth. We learned this from Scripture. Heavenly beings or angels are not redeemable. Okay? They, they cannot receive restoration through Jesus. Only humans are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. So let me explain this to you. The legions of angels who fell away from their vocation or calling to worship and serve God most high, and this is what happened through the deception of Satan or Lucifer, they have no second opportunity to be reconciled to God. They will forever be separated from his love and their true calling. And yet the heavenly beings who remained loyal to the Lord and their calling, they sing a song of joy at the arrival of Christ and the purpose of Jesus to come was to save a people unto himself. They had incredible joy and sang the praise of the Lord at the thought that somebody else was going to be redeemed and restored. It was amazing news to them. And so practically, we can ask this question of ourselves. Do you have joy for others when something good happens to them? Or do you sit back and kind of grumble, like, I wish something good would happen to me every once in a while? Do you have an, here's another one. Do you have incredible joy for others when they meet Christ for the first time, when they enter into a, a saving relationship with Jesus, when we celebrate a baptism, when that person goes into the water and comes back out, we should erupt in a chorus of praise saying, glory to God in the highest. Another sinner has been reconciled to the Lord. Do we have that kind of joy? Let us celebrate as the heavens do when one person comes to know Jesus. If you, if you ask any missionary, I would assume, in the mission field, if you said, hey, what would you measure, how would you measure success in your ministry? I bet many of them would say, if one person came to Jesus, it's worth it. If one person comes to know the Lord, it's worth it. Can we be excited for one another when something praiseworthy comes to fruition in, in another person's life? Like how exciting would it be if you shared good news in your life and, and your friend is like, yes, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that that, that came to pass for you. Looking back now into the passage, what, what is the reason for all the excitement though? The reason is that the Lord has arrived in the flesh, the king has come, and he has come to do an amazing restoring work to humanity. That brings us to our second point. God with us restores our worship. God with us restores our worship. Through faith, man has been reconciled to God through Jesus, and thus the transformation of humanity and the graded 
greater uh, created order has been set into motion. Okay, we're going to talk a lot about transformation under this point. Right, because here, here's the truth. We're fascinated by restoration stories. I, I work out in the mornings, usually a few times a week. I go to a Planet Fitness in Shepherdsville, and they have a whole row of TVs up on the front wall. And early in the morning, a lot of those TV sets are set to a, a certain channel called HGTV. You guys ever watch HGTV? Okay. Every man in here wishes his wife would not watch HGTV because many a Many a project, many a weekend project comes out of that, right? But a lot of times HGTV has these TV shows on there where they take these old kind of dilapidated, messed up homes, and what do they do? They restore them, don't they? Uh, if we think there's, there's a lot of this going on in, in the city of Detroit. Uh, Detroit was once a beautiful city. It was known as, I think, the, the Paris of the West and economic downturns and, and the, the fall kind of the, of the automobile industry in the United States really just plummeted that whole area and people just vacated the city. And now people are starting to come back into the city. We've seen this in Louisville too, and, and they revitalize it or they restore. And so those shows on HGTV where people go in and they buy these old homes for really cheap and then they pour all this money and effort into it, what? To restore it, to take something old and restore it to its intended purpose, right? That it would be lived in once again. This is what Jesus accomplishes in us. He, he wants to restore us to our purpose, what we were intended to do. The scriptures say this, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The song begins with, with the word hark. We've already established, what does that mean? What does hark mean? Like, hey, yeah, <laughs> listen, right? Listen to what I have to say. Listen to the good news. Hear this good news from uh, the lyric from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king. Hear this. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Here it is. God and sinners reconciled. Then that's good news. God and sinners reconciled. When something is, is reconciled, a, a relationship has, is fixed. Its original purpose is restored. This gives us a view into our vocation, our calling. One of the most important questions I think we can ask is, what on earth am I here for? Like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Verse 14, I think, gives us insight in, into the answer to that. It begins with this, glory to God in the highest. Okay, that gives us some insight into our purpose, that we would glorify God, that we glorify God in our life. Glor glory to God in the highest. And on earth, here it is, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is pleased with us through Jesus. Why all the excitement in the heavenly realm? Why are the angels singing? Why are the heavens, in a sense, ripping open above these shepherds in the dark field and praising God? Because of this simple truth. In Christ, God is pleased with us. Did you hear that? In Christ, God is pleased with us. I hope someone takes hold of this, this truth today and will say, amen with me. In Christ, God is pleased with you and me, with us. 
But, but he's not set you free to merely experience peace, but has set you free from the old self and has transformed you into a new creation. That's why we, we call ourselves born-again Christians. We're new. So that you can experience, as Jesus would say, life that is really life. You can experience what you were created for, what Christ came to reconcile us into. Again, our vocation, our calling. And that is this. It's simply put this way, to worship God. Did you know you were created to worship God constantly? Now, you may automatically think of guitars and drums or old hymns. Let's not dumb down the idea of worship to just music. Right? We always think of, of worship music when we think of worship, and that's just an expression, a beautiful expression that I love of our worship and adoration of God. But music isn't all there is to worshiping God. Worship involves this, putting someone before yourself, and that someone is God. You see, because in our sin... I want to talk about me. I want to put me first, right? You can think of that Toby Keith song. It's all about me. But through Jesus, our worship is reoriented to worship the one true God, Yahweh. To experience life that is really life. We put God before ourselves. That the fall of humanity or or humanity's entrance into sin, it continued worship, okay? Worship didn't cease when we began to sin. We just no longer worshiped God. We worshiped ourselves, our wants, our needs, our desires. This is what's beautiful about the gospel. This is why the angels are singing is because the gospel reorients our worship to its proper form, its proper vocation, its proper calling. It is a worshipful life that we have that's centered on the God that created the whole universe. But how is this accomplished? Because I'm going to confess, if you're anything like me, it's hard to get over yourself, isn't it? I want to think, I think about me all day long and what I want what I want to eat, what I want to watch on TV. It's hard to get over me. It's hard to get over ourselves. I want to make a, a, a statement here that may cause, cause you kind of your insides to turn. This is, this is why the Scripture calls us to die. Did you know that the Scriptures call us to die? That's right. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. This is accomplished through the power of the gospel. You see, because it's impossible for us to die to ourselves apart from the work of God's Holy Spirit. To overcome our stubborn, hard-hearted sin and to submit and give our lives completely to Jesus so that our original vocation, our calling is restored. And the result of it is this, the, the result of us dying to ourself is that we will have this, we will have peace with God, we will have grace to stand on his promises, and we will have this, we'll have joy that's unimaginable, that we'll be able to rejoice in the Lord. Romans 5, 1-2 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, I always like to explain what justified means. It means we've been declared by the blood of Jesus, faith in the blood of Jesus, we've been declared not guilty. 
Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, hear this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access, here it is, by faith, trust, confidence, into his grace in which we stand. We stand on the grace of God. And what's the result of that? And we rejoice in hope, here it is, of the glory of God. That's what we're created to do. To rejoice and worship and glorify the Lord. God, would you give me this peace? Would you give me access by faith to stand in your grace? God, help me to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How? Here it is. You've got to die to yourself. We've got to die to the, to the old person that you were. And you may be thinking, how in the world can I do this? How do I die to myself? Well, before I get into practically how you can do that, thank God we have the Spirit of God within us that renews us and restores us and transforms us. This is a spiritual thing that we're dealing with here. How do we die to ourselves? You can write these down. This isn't in your notes. The first way we can die to ourselves is that we would make a decision each and every day to submit to the Lord's will and way in our lives. We would submit to the Lord's will and way in our lives. That we would give up sin that hinders and holds us back from a deeper relationship with God. If you've been baptized, I want you to remember the commitment that you made and the picture that baptism gives of us dying to our old ways. Okay, That's what baptism represents or pictures that we are publicly telling the world, I am dying to myself. Boom, I'm going into the grave, right? Under the water, and I'm being brought back out of the water as a new creation representing resurrection in Jesus. Paul talks about that in Romans 6. We're dying to our old ways, being raised to new life again. So what's a way that you could, you could die to yourself? Remember your commitment that you made when you were baptized, that you committed. God, I'm going to die to my old ways, and I'm going to be raised to new life again. Here's another way that you can die to yourself, because it's hard. Pray to the Lord for strength. God, would you help me to die to my old ways, my old wants, my old desires? Here's a way that you can, you can practically die to yourself. Ask other Christians to help you with the blind spots to sin that you have in your life. Like, hey, if I'm out of line, would you tap me on the shoulder and let me know? And then be humble enough to receive that, that rebuke. Create accountability in your life. Lastly, this is the most important thing. Would you each and every day, each and every waking moment of your life, preach the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to yourself constantly? Did you know that the gospel is not only for salvation? The gospel keeps us. So every day you have to get up, you have to remind yourself like me, I was a hopeless sinner. And Jesus came to die for me. Jesus came and lived for me. He lived perfectly. He died for me on the cross, a gruesome, gruesome death. He went into the grave and he raised from the grave on the third day in victory over sin and death for me. Can you imagine if you preach that message to yourself every day, moment by moment, Jesus did this for me? 
That'll help you die to yourself. And when this happens, when we keep pondering and thinking and reflecting and considering and immersing ourselves into the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, God is going to change us, restore us, transform us more and more into the image of his son so that our proper purpose and vocation, our calling can be brought about. I got, I got to share a story with you guys. I was sitting with a, an older member of our congregation this past week. She's getting older and she's battling a lot, of, a lot of illness. And I hope she wouldn't mind me sharing this, but I think it's beautiful. It's too beautiful not to share with you. And it inspired me. And we're sitting there talking and she's like, I, I still got more stuff left to She's like, God loved an old sinner like me. And she's like, Keith, you want to know what I want to do until basically the day I die? I want to tell everybody I know about Jesus. This is, a, this is a person that served the Lord well. She doesn't need to do anymore. She doesn't have anything to prove. But her heart, the, God, the, the spirit of God within her, sitting there frail and sick and still recovering, she recognized the distance that she had from God before she knew Jesus. She always says, I'm just an old sinner. And I want people to know about Jesus. My goodness, I hope when I'm that age that I'm sitting there thinking that way. God, give me a heart like that. Who's with me? I don't want to sit there in the recliner and just click through the channels. My team always loses the big game anyways, right? This lady is going to take every single second that the Lord has given her on earth because she wants to serve God. And the way she wants to serve God is she wants other people to know about Jesus. It brings us to our third point. God with us spreads peace through the whole creation. This is the desire of this, this woman that she wants people to know about Jesus. She said, Keith, will you preach my funeral? But don't talk about me. Talk about Jesus. God with us spreads peace through the, the whole creation. Our, our calling and vocation go beyond personal transformation, right? It's not all about me. And, and it goes into the implications of, of our calling to, to bring the light of peace and transformation into the whole creation, right? We don't keep Jesus to ourselves. The, the song sings it this way. Joyful all ye nations rise. Here it is. Join the triumph of the skies. Join. How do we join? This is, this is brought about through the reconciling work of the gospel through us. You know, our, our vocation, our calling is to worship God and to share, to proclaim, to be gospel proclaimers, worshipers of God, spreading the peace, righteousness, holiness, justice, grace, and mercy of the Lord throughout the whole world. The heavenly beings announced and saying in, in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Here it is. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want to see more and more people brought in to experience 
the peace among those with whom he is pleased. And here it is, peace begins within us, within ourselves. A couple points for you to think about this morning. Have you embraced the peace of the Lord? Right? How, how can you spread peace if you do not possess it yourself? It's like our government, they give away a lot of money. And they don't really have it, do they? Right? We have to have it in order to give it away. We have to possess peace. We have to own it personally. We have to embrace it. The angels sang at the arrival of the Christ and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And here's the thing. When we think about peace, our, our English word for peace is about this big compared to the biblical word of peace. When the Bible speaks of peace, it's much more than just calm, right? I want peace in my house. I, what do I mean? I want you to turn the TV down a little bit and the kids to be quiet. But it's much more than, than just calm or, or when we think of peace, we think of a lack of conflict. The Hebrew word for peace is this, shalom. Shalom. What does that mean? It means completeness in God. Man, that's way bigger than the peace I know. I want shalom. It means that we have well-being. It means that, that we have positive judgment from God or, or soundness. And ultimately, as we understand it, we have peace with God. And the natural outflow of our peace is that, that peace or shalom is, is spread to those around us and beyond, right? We don't just keep this peace to ourselves, but we spread it. It's the beauty of the Christmas season. We're in a season where we really focus and concentrate on peace and shalom and completeness in God. And then from, from out of us, then extending out to those around us, number two, peace doesn't just reside in us personally, but it's a distinctive mark of the people of God. Did you know that? That we would be a peaceful people together, that we would have shalom together within the church. The church should be a place that examples the peace of God among his people. But if we're honest, we struggle with this, don't we? We long to have peace and well-being and positive judgment among each other. Would you pray with me? Lord, give us strength to be people of peace with one another. We need to pray that constantly. And this is what happens. Number three, from the corporate peace of the church flows forth a peace that spreads to the community and the world that we serve. Do you see how it goes out from me to those around me in the church, my brothers and sisters, then outside of these walls? We have a beautiful message that brings peace to the, to the most important relationship that a person could ever have, which is peace with God, right? A.W. Tozer would say, what's the most important thing that you can think about is God, what you think about God. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21 says this, hear this, therefore we are, here's a word, ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador do? Goes in the name of, right? They're a representative. We are ambassadors for Christ. God has given us this calling, God making his appeal through us. 
Here it is. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Here it is. Be reconciled to God. And then Paul gives us the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin. That's Jesus who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If if you're ever feeling depressed, if you ever feel like God doesn't hear you or doesn't love you, read 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He's perfect so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about those old You have these old, nasty, stinky clothes, and God ripped those away and has clothed you in the perfect, pure righteousness of his son, Jesus. If our personal purpose, our vocation, calling is to worship God and and to be at peace with him, then the fullest expression or implication of our worship and calling is to spread peace to others. How can we spread peace? The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ, that God makes his appeal through us to spread the beautiful message of peace and purpose to every person we come in contact with. Did you hear that? Every person we come in contact with, God, give me a way to share the gospel with them, please. The question is, do you even think about this when you're, this is where we get into that division of life, sacred and secular. I'm just going to the grocery store. I need to get milk and cereal. I'm not worried about a conversation about Jesus. You know how many opportunities are out there? You know how many people are hurting and broken? My my brother, uh, Nathan, our, our discipleship pastor, has this habit when we go into a restaurant, he always asks the server, hey, we're going to pray for our meal What can we pray for? You want to know how many times that server starts to cry when he asks that question? I can't ever think of a time where he's actually been rejected in that, where they said, no, thank you. And so you may feel weird about asking that question, but I can tell you in in the example of, of Nate being faithful to ask that consistently in the times that we go grab lunch and we eat a lot, More often than not, that person is kind of taken aback. Wow. What a beautiful opportunity to be able to then share the gospel with what is going on in their life that we're going to pray for. But hey, you know Jesus. Opens up that conversation. Do you even think about that? If our, if our lives have been radically reoriented through faith in Jesus we're putting off our old selves, we're putting on the new man or woman, wouldn't we want others to experience that peace? Can you imagine you have amazing news and and you just keep it to yourself? I mean, come on, look at all the stuff we put on Facebook. We would never keep it to ourselves. It reminds me of when you're going through a hard time. Just having a conversation with somebody who's going through a hard time a few days ago, and I said, Keith, I don't know how people get through stuff like this without God. But I don't know either, and I don't ever want to find out, right? 
You have a message of peace. Peace. Share it. How can we keep it to ourselves? Paul instructs on the implications of our vocation, our calling. We implore people to be reconciled to God. But how? The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this beautiful news that we have. That that even in the midst of our sin, our trespasses, that we were enemies of God, we were in rebellion against God, that God sent his son Jesus. That's why the angels are, are singing praises unto God, singing of his amazing grace. Because God chose to send his son to live perfectly for us, to bear our sin and shame and guilt on the cross, to shed his blood, to go into the grave and die, only to be raised from the dead on the third day by the power of God's spirit. He has defeated sin and death. This is what we believe. If you have faith in that, you will be saved. It's the gospel. The answer is always the gospel. Whether it be that the heavenly realm bursting into a song of praise, right? The angels praised God. Why did they praise God? Because of the gospel. Jesus has come. The arrival of the Savior. The restoration of our vocation and worship, our daily dying to our sin. It's accomplished. Hear this. It's not, it's accomplished not by sheer grit or white knuckling it. We don't have to white knuckle it through life. God has given us the power of his spirit. If we would just submit to him through the spirit of God working in us through the powerful message of grace and mercy in the gospel, we can have peace with God. And then out of that peace, that peace bursting forth Through the people of God, it goes into all of creation because we're called what? Ambassadors for Christ. Making his appeal through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Amen.